episode 92 of the Joel Fleischman Happy Hour podcast. Today we are joined by Doug O'Rourke of Beware Lumber. Uh, Doug is the vice president at Beware Lumber. He's been there 42 years, uh, lives in St. Clair, Michigan. Uh, Beware Lumber has six sawmills producing 1 billion feet of board lumber, um, three treating plants producing pressure treated lumber, as well as fire retardant lumber and plywood. Doug, appreciate you taking the time to join Joel and myself today. I'm glad to be here. Welcome on, Doug. Happy, uh, happy. Welcome to Happy Hour. Cheers. Like I'm, happy I'm a little jealous that you got a beer and I don't, but we'll, we'll get right, to right. it. We didn't brief you. A happy hour at some beers and <laughs> mandatory. I'll be better welcome. prepared next Thanks time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. So, um, you got a. Are you a are you a, a, a animal hunter? You must be. I see a lot of. Bad you know the the, the beers are big hunters um, all over the world. Uh, I don't hunt. It's kind of a good formula because oh. they can be off hunting while I'm working, so they like that. So it's more office decorations for the beer family than anything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, wonderful. Right. So let's get into it. All right. You're a lumber guy. You were that way out of college. You have how many mills, and you're the vice president. You know, I started working for a lumber yard when I was going to college, and I never had enough sense to get out of the business. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's I've been around here a long time, seeing the company grow quite a bit, and it's been and fun. Company, when you started the company 42 years ago, how large was the mill, and who did you sell to? You know, we didn't have any sawmills. We had we had a few treating plants, and and we did business primarily with 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 LBM dealers, kind okay. of across the Midwest, and. Uh, you know, we've kind of we've kind of grown from there, but uh, yeah, I've seen the company. I don't know, we're probably fifty million dollar company when I joined them, and 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 we're we're a little bit larger than that now. So, <laughs> fair enough. I'm sure you are. And you have three plants. You do not own any of your own uh, logs, correct? You buy the logs. You don't own no. We, we don't own a lot of stumpage. Uh, you stumpage know, our first really mill was in Michigan. We have we, we have a couple in Wisconsin, uh, and then three in Mississippi. Uh, we own a little bit of timber, but we're not big timber owners. The bulk of our, our logs that come into our mills, um, we either buy stumpage where we own the right to cut them from the state, the federal, the counties, uh, or we buy open market wood from producers. So it's a combination of both those. So Drexel, what is our relationship like with you at Drexel? I've been to your apprentice plant you uh, have, okay. several times. Um, okay. Through many renovations, actually, I've probably have been there maybe, well, I shouldn't say several. I would guess three to okay. maybe five times okay. uh, with builders. It was always a wonderful tour, um, seeing those red pine logs fly through the mill. And then the treated plant was was pretty fun, middle of nowhere up there in Prentice. It sure is, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, is that what we're primarily buying from you these days, is that red pine? You know the bulk of the bulk of what you're doing out of the mills is, you know, we put an SPF stamp on it, um, and that's the bulk of what you're doing. We do we do sell you some southern pine out of the uh, the southern mills, and we're going to start producing MSR shortly, so we probably can do some more with that state of the art trust plant you guys have got. So, uh, but the bulk of the, the relationship would be SPF out of primarily the Prentice mill, um, and then treated lumber out of the treating plant in Prentice. Let's do a little. 101. Uh, we got a couple things to cover, but we don't have a lot of time, but a little 101 on lumber. So let's walk for those that don't really know what we're talking about, even if they do it a little bit of a level. What's coming out of that? What is coming out of that apprentice plant that's coming into our yards? What is that? What, what is that kind of log? What is that kind of? It's, it's a heavy it percentage like? of, of red pine. Uh, this is product that was planted in the 40s, 50s by the CCC groups. 
Um, you know, we came through in the late 1800s, early 1900s, cut all the white pine off. So this is primarily plantation pine that was planted by these groups. And most of our cuttings are really just thinnings where they're selectively going in and pulling out rows. About around 100 miles of northern Wisconsin. I mean, it's a fairly local. Um, you know, we bring wood from the Upper Peninsula. We bring some wood from Minnesota. But the bulk of it is probably a 100 to 150-mile radius of yeah. Apprentice. Apprentice, if you don't know, is somewhere in the north central region, I guess I would call it, of that's, Wisconsin. That's a great way to describe it, yeah. So we're, so we're using northern. If you've been up north, we're getting trees out of those forests in a thinning process. Uh, they're 70 years old, it sounds like, mainly, which is... They're not that big. If you, you think of these logging companies and their four-foot diameter logs, right? That's how we think. How what's the average diameter of some of those? The the, the average, what we call small end diameter up at Prentice, would probably be about nine and a half inches. Yeah, way smaller than you think. Oh, it takes it takes a lot yeah. of logs, a it lot of. Sure, I'm thinking like thirty. 40. Those, yeah, those old days where you saw those big four-foot logs—that is really a thing of the past. Other than in some very very specific areas out west. So, Nine and a half inches. That's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Right? And then, uh, you can probably explain it better than me. So that log comes into you on, on, uh, and then it, explain that laser process. How you do, like, how do you decide what to cut out of that log? Well, let's do two things. I love the historic way you guys did it and the way you do it now. Can you tell me when you started versus how you do it now? Well, when we started, we were bringing in what they call tree length, which can be up to 45 foot long. And we merchandise the lengths at the mill based on, sweep of the log taper you know what what you need to cut you know demand those kinds of things by hand right uh no no it was all it was all automated that, it that, was okay yeah yeah almost pretty much everything in the mill is run by computers and scanners i mean we oh, can no, 40, override it oh, but 42 years 42 years ago was that way uh well when we first built that mill in, in 1990 it was set up that way yes yes oh, now, now it's been improved greatly it's been thinking, improved greatly I'm thinking 42 years ago is like 1940, right? I just forget how old I am. I'm like, oh shit, yeah, that's. Well, I mean, the, the mill industry has, has evolved. If you saw our new mill, our, our new state-of-the-art mills in Mississippi, you would be amazed at just the amount of computers and scanning, and and, right. and you so, know, there so, really aren't many human decisions made anymore. Right. So the log comes in very much quicker than you think. This little nine and a half inch log, and it almost instantly gets scanned, and then what I call lasered. And they take out two by six out and one two by four, right? Is that kind of well? The first thing to do is go through a debarker and pull pull most all of the bark off, and then it, it transfers down to some decks that are going to feed it into the main sawing line, and it's scanned numerous times, and it'll basically take that log and determine what you can get out of it, and it might be it might be fifteen boards out of a log, it might be five depending on you know, or three or four depending on the size of the log. Um, and some of the determinants that we've made on what we want to cut, but it scans that log, um, it chips the four sides, and then goes through a saw box that splits it into two by six or two by four or two by eight or you know four by fours, whatever we happen to be cutting. So um, we 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 set you know we set the parameters, we, we we kind of tell it what we want it to cut. We can drive some some strategies, but basically it's we're taking round logs and making square wood. And then, it, and then it automatically drops to that unit again. No humans touch that in the entire process. No, no. It's what and they call many, sharp chain, which is a single right. pass. Once the log feeds into the mill, it feeds all the way through till it basically goes into a stacker. The old sawmills where you saw a carriage where they were running the log back and forth with big logs. There are still some of those, but those are typically smaller mills. 
How many how many seconds does that take from the log coming into the factory to being on a, a unit? You know, from, from when it comes through the debarker, which is the first phase, depending on how full the decks are, it could be anywhere from a log that goes through the through the processor in 10 minutes. It could be 40 minutes, depending on how the logs are. It's extremely we, fast. I mean, yeah, we like to say it, it can be a tree on Monday and it can be a piece of lumber coming to Drexel on Friday. Yeah, theory, it's, a, it's a very interesting process. Uh, it's wonderful. Could you explain to me a little bit about, right, uh, outside looking in, a treated board is a treated board. Uh, the board that I see at Home Depot, Menards, and Fleet Farm is the same that you get at Drexel. Uh, I know you don't feel that way. I know I don't feel that way. I know that's not the truth. Could you speak to me a little bit in layman's terms, the differences? Because, again, a treated board is a treated board, isn't it? Well, I mean, there are some differences in the treatment, but it's pretty much all the same. The differences come in the quality of the lumber that goes in. But how do, um, but how do, but how do, right? So how do you, how does Drexel or you define the quality of the lumber? Well, how we, so the quality of lumber that comes in, like you said, it's we, all about the lumber that comes in. As you know, weighing, which is bark or, or missing edges on a lumber is allowed under the grade for a hundred years. Lumber was caught with, was cut with a fair amount of that. And over the last 20 or 25 years, there's been a 20 years anyway, there's been a real push to, to appearance grade. So we target what we call a rough green, which is one how it goes through the primary sawmill um, to produce a product that has limited wane. We're trying to create as much of that select cut product, which is our signature brand for appearance grade products. And, and we target towards that. And, and you'll get that grade, you'll get a straight just number two, and then you'll get the industrial grades, which are the lower grades used for packaging and pallets and things like that. And we can set the tolerances, how much weighing we will allow, all those kinds of things um, to determine so you know, what we want. We're still taking an imperfect input in a log and trying yeah. to push out uh, you know, a, a piece of lumber that's the same every time. And it just, that doesn't work that way. Well, my dad always was fond of saying, um, you know, without knots, where would the where would the birds sit? There you go. There you a go. knot is really just a branch, right? So again, it's an imperfect thing. But could you explain to me the grading system? Yeah, grading is, is in in North America or the U.S. is is controlled by a set of standards, and all dimension lumber, two by four through two by twelve timbers, is basically graded for strength. It's not graded for appearance. Um, so they take lots of different factors from, you know, amount of knots, size of knots, whether edge knots, um, you know, some wane, some what they call slope of green, a bunch of different factors that affect it structurally. And that's how the lumber grades are developed. Number one is stronger than number two. Number two is stronger than the lower grades, three and four. Um, and that's the basis for lumber grading. It's all run by a third-party inspection system. Um, if if you're an accredited computer, mill, computers are humans. Yes, yes. Is it a computer doing that work, or is it, it, it all of our mills now run off a computer grading system? If you'd have come to our mills 10, 15 years ago, probably when you went through Joel, you'd have four or five graders visually grading the pieces. You know, not and, not employed by the mill, always third party. No, no, they're they're employed by the mill, but the third party comes in routinely, unannounced, and does an audit and makes sure you're you're, you're pulling to grade. Right. Everything now is done with a computer graded system. It goes through a scanner that scans the piece about every quarter inch and 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 tells it what grade. And it's with all the different grades that are out there now, it's it's difficult for a, for a set of humans to do that. Right. It was really interesting, in my opinion, 
when I started in the industry 40 years ago, yeah, uh, my dad would actually, when we were, he's probably just bored with me, I would actually go up to the number two pine uh, product and he'd say, pull out all the clear lumber and put it in the clear pile. Yep. Because we play a premium. So lumber was actually always great and still is, but it's technically not two and better. Correct. Right. Or even Southern yellow pine. So I used to remember having, I had farmers that would come in and they would dig through our pile and actually find a Southern yellow pine boards within the unit. Because right. they're a lot stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they were a lot stronger. They're building a fence or that's how their dad taught them or yeah. whatever. Right. And you'd have to wait till they pick through the, to find those Southern yellow pine boards. Carpenters didn't always like that. Obviously. Right. It's well, a little harder to work with. Yeah. 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 A little harder to work with, but that was part of it. It's spruce, pine, or fir is allowed. And it was always two and better, which really meant, yeah, on a Saturday morning, I would dig through the number two pile. I'd find five boards and I'd throw them on the select pile. But, and that was just how the grader did it. I don't know if he was hung over or drunk or just forgot. Well, or I mean, some mills might not have the capabilities to pull a higher grade. Maybe yeah. there isn't enough to, I mean. Yeah, right. All that, whatever that was. But, you know, what has really happened in our industry and people say, hey, lumber quality has really went down in 30 years, us old timers. And again, part of that is just being an old timer and everything was better back in the day, right? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's part of it. But also part of it is the truth. It's actually what my dad has always said, two and worse, right? Which is. <laughs> Which is what, what, what really that means is the industry has gotten so better and so much more profitable. The computers at the mill level now have all these different grades. They know when it's a good board. That's yep. not going into the two and better pile. Um, and then I think also the appearance grade has really taken over solely based on the Menards, Home Depot, box shoppers. They wanted a premium looking yep. wood. They weren't concerned about the strength. Right, um, right. And now that has taken over the industry, even on commercial jobs or large scale jobs where everybody wants this, I almost call it a veneer looking wood, right? They want to actually, they want the wood to, wood to almost look fake. They're so well, used like, to like you said, the home center started this trend because right. the homeowners were in there picking pieces off the pile there and they weren't going to pick anything that had Wayne or bark on the edge. Right. So which, doesn't they, matter, which does not matter for construction. It no. just has a bark to it. Okay. Right. If you're going to bury it behind OSB and drywall, if it's got a little wane, it's still very practical. But as you said, the 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 builder yards, the LBM business, a lot of them have converted over to wanting a, a better appearance grade, and that's affected the just straight number two quality also. Well, it's actually hurt the number two quality. Oh yeah, because yeah. Because yep. so now it's like within the grade itself, there's number two quality, and then there's appearance grade quality. Yep. So yeah. now what's left of the number two really is the two and worse, not two and better. Absolutely. You're right. right. So, if it, so if fillers are saying, hey, the quality has come down in lumber, that's why. Mark, yeah. does that resonate with you being a non-lumber guy? Does that make some sense? It does make sense. I think you've described it. And it's, it's really kind of changed the lumber business in the last 15 or 20 years, you know, but it is what it is. And it's, it's, it's forced mills to kind of change how they do things. You know, our focus at really all our mills is, is to target the higher grades and, and you're going to get some all the way down, but you want to you want to target as much of the higher grades as you can. Right. So that's actually a kind of a fun conversation, just in a real small nugget. The lower lumber is actually not trying not to be produced by the mills when you think about it. Oh, yeah. It's much less profitable. They want you think about stakes or whatever yep. in the industry, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Diamonds, right? You always want the higher grades. Right, so if right. they can get that out of that log, they're not focusing on that. So that's also why at times lumber pricing can be up on MSR, but down over here. Right. MSR is a very high grade of lumber, yep. almost no knots, very, very strong. That's what we use in our trust plants, is what right. Doug was alluding to. 
Um, so very interesting in that lumber market. A lot of it's not games being played, but there's games within the game, you know. Yeah, you know, the, uh, the, the, the mills have just had to adjust to the market demand, and it's a it's right. a changed market demand, and 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 the mills have to figure out who they are. Some mills have went to the industrial right. ballot. Some guys like Beaver have went more to the premium of premium yep. appearance where they were maybe ahead of the curve. Okay, let's move forward a little bit. Uh, I kind of want to stay, Mark. Are we doing okay, Marcus, with the industry terms? Are we going to move to some deeper yeah, subjects? No, no, you, you're interested in this, yeah. are you? Yep. Okay. It seems like I'm sure Doug and I are like, God, we could talk about a million other things versus. I think we could, yeah. We'd probably go on for a few uh, hours. Yeah, Doug's probably like, this is not what I was expecting talking 101, but I think that's what <laughs> a lot of people yeah, are interested in. But also, like, I, I, I'm guessing this is fairly interesting to you. Yeah. Because I'm sure Doug and I are bored out of our mind right now. But if it's interesting yeah. to you, we're going to yeah, continue doing it. Could you explain the treated? Uh, pressure treated process, like again, I think a lot of people. I mean, Marcus, you do you know what pressure treated means? Treated yeah, treated with pressure, right? But like, how does it actually work? Like, I think people are super confused or have never even considered how what that means, right? They just know it's green wood that somehow got treated, oh, right? Wow. Like that's all you really know. Yep. So Basically, prior to to the advent of pressure treated lumber, and it's been around since the '30s, but it's really it's it, I mean. Before that, the only way to really protect wood was to coat it, and that doesn't protect the whole piece of lumber. You cut it, it checks, you know, those kinds of things. Well, and, and I'm old enough to remember the, I don't even remember the term, but you grease them up. What was that? The, oh, yeah, you, 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 you could creosote them or burn them or whatever. Right, back right, back in prehistoric times, they used to burn it to char them because that acts right. as an insulator and helps protect right, it. Yeah, you think of it in nature, right? The, the, that wood's charred, that's actually strengthening mm -hmm. it. That's how they protect themselves from a forest fire. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember a lot of creosote. Like our eight by eights and stuff would be creosote, yep. which is literally yep. just the slimy, oh yeah, gross grease. It just greased it up as all it was. That yep. was the protector to go in the ground. So, um, so the pressure treating with what we call waterborne preservatives, which is really the current mess, you know, recipe. Other than for some utility poles and rail ties and things like that, basically uses a, a mixture of chemicals suspended in water. And we load the lumber into a cylinder. We pull a vacuum to kind of open the cells of the wood. Um, and then we force, we fill the cylinder with the solution and force pressure up to about 200 pounds per, 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 per square foot, um, or per square inch, excuse me. And it forces these chemicals down into the wood. And over the course of, uh, it depends a little bit on temperature and a few other variables, but over the course of 24 to 48 hours, these chemicals, fixate themselves to the wood. They actually attach to the cell walls. So what that means is they're there. You can't separate them. They're a part, and that's how you can, that's how you can provide pressure treated lumber with a lifetime warranty. You can build basements out of pressure treated lumber, all those kinds of things. So the, 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 the chemicals are down forced into the wood. They, they bond themselves to the wood. You know, we pull the, we pull the excess chemical back out. We run it through an initial drip and the product's ready for, for application unless it has to be dried after treatment. So it's a very, very good sound system. The product works very, very well. It's been tested for darn near a hundred years in places like Hilo, Hawaii, where the, where the severity of, of both insect termocytes and fungal decay is astronomical and the product works very, very well. So right. how, how long does that take? The whole process you know from door to door in the cylinder um anywhere from 45 minutes to a couple hours depending on some very size of lumber what you're trying to do retention yeah. levels those kind of things it looks like a big canister if you think about it, it's almost like how you pressure uh peaches or something right like it's pressure yeah. treated yeah. We, we, our cylinder will treat about a truckload of lumber they're six foot six by 80 or 90 
So yeah, the only yeah. thing about it is almost like a Traeger grill, right? Like basically you load it up. Somehow you could suck all the moisture out like with your big syringe and then you bring the moisture back in with the chemicals. Correct. correct? And it's uh, a lot of water, a little bit of chemical. It's about right. one to 2% chemical. The rest is water. The water carries it into the, into the wood where it bonds itself and then the water migrates back out to whatever the equilibrium is with where, where it's going to you know, be applied. So one, I think most of our viewers and listeners are maybe enough to be dangerous in this. So I'm kind of taking the 101, 202 approach. Okay. One thing that questions I've always gotten up that I've always gotten, which is a little deeper question. You cut that four by four and a half and that thing's not treated all the way through. I want to return it or that thing sucks. They didn't get all the treated because the middle is completely white wood and then the outer edges are green. Yeah. Is it treated all the way through? What causes that? Can you kind of explain what's going on there? Well, um, it's, it's, happen, it's, like white in it's the not it's always 100% penetrated, we call that. And that can depend on a number of different factors, one of which is the size of the lumber. If you're, if, if you're looking at a two before and it's 100% sapwood, it's going to be 100% penetrated if it's treated properly. If you take a six by six that's a bigger piece of lumber, usually going to have heartwood, which is not as susceptible to decay or insect, you won't have 100% penetration. We have... We have minimum penetration levels based on you know size of lumber and some other factors that we have to meet for this product to qualify. And same deal. There's a there's a third party inspector that comes in and starts drilling holes, you know, in the units of lumber to check for penetration and retention. So now, are you gonna have a, so are you gonna have right that guy does that? Well, Marcus just heard, right? He's gonna build a deck, he cuts that in half, he's like, Oh crap, it didn't penetrate all the way through. Is that something that's under warranty? Are it you gonna is. have problems? Like, what's the deal? It is completely under warranty. You don't need to field treat if you're building a deck, a fence, anything like that. The only time we require field treating is on a permanent wood foundation, and that's just building in an extra extra level of, of safety and performance. So, no, you do not need – for any applications that you're going to sell, you do not need to field treat cut ends. Which also means – you said it's under warranty, which I might take it as bring it back to the lumber yard. They'll give you a new one. You're more saying, no, it's fine. You can use it as it is. You're still protected under warranty, correct? It has a lifetime warranty, quite honestly. Right. Even if, even if it's not green all the way through, correct. it's perfectly correct. fine. Correct. Yep. Right. Whose lifetime? Mine, yours, the user? It's the user. So we can all <laughs> say, is that is that five years or is that 50 years? But well, you know, well, if, if, I think if the product's saying, treated properly, it will, last, it will last longer than anybody that's buying it. You're not going to have a problem with what you're yeah, saying. No. And I can tell you, you don't have claims. You're totally good. No. Does no. that make sense, Marcus? Yeah. Interesting because th that does come up from time to time oh, yeah. for sure. Yep. So let's go to the meat, what I've been waiting for, and you already bathed it. Permanent wood foundations. You live in one. I'm intrigued by it. We do off-site construction, which means, uh, Doug, and, and for people that don't know this, and I would think everybody here probably knows listening, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, we're very obsessed with offsite construction. We bought Blinker Construction a few years ago, or yep. Blinker Building Systems. We're probably the leader in Wisconsin, and I know we're the leader in Wisconsin, if not the Midwest in offsite. We want to bring wood foundations to Wisconsin. It's very rare here in this state. You live in one. Talk to me, brother. Well, I've built about a dozen of them, and I think we're living in maybe our sixth one. So, um, I'm certainly a strong advocate, both both in in, in selling them, but well as living, building them, and living in them. And you know what we, Joe, what we say, wood basements are not for everybody. They're only for people that like warm, dry, comfortable, below grade living space. 
I mean, there's other advantages, you know, that maybe you don't have to have a concrete crew out there. You're saying framing crew can do it. Usually they're quicker. There's lots of advantages. The real advantages go when you when you go to finish one. But the real benefit of wood basements are the comfort level that they provide. You don't get that damp, musty feel that you get in a lot of masonry basements. Right. And, and for us, with offsite construction, we can build those panels at our factory, yep, yep. set them. So, yes, speed and efficiency. Yep. We're not ripping the forms. We don't have to, right. hire, we don't have to hire another guy. We're yep. going to go there. We're going to cap it. Then we're going to backfill. Then we're going to come back. I mean, we're talking weeks we're saving. And then where do, where, where do you think the price comes in? Versus concrete. That's you know, we get asked that question, and it probably depends on complexity of the basement, corners, things like that. But most of the analysis we run, um, a wood basement compared with a, with, a, with a block or a poured basement probably comes in anywhere from 10 to 15% less to 10 to 15% more. So it's, it, it's not really a cost factor. Now, when you go to finish it, there's tremendous cost savings. You're not furring out a wall and losing square footage and all that kind of stuff. So, so if you're going to finish it, that you'll definitely see cost savings, but just, if you're just going to build a basement and not do anything with it and compare it with concrete. If, if you can control it in a panelized plant, like you guys have, you can probably develop some efficiencies and, yeah. and be more competitive. Um, yeah. We know. think it's, we think it's a wash or less expensive yeah. all of our analysis. We have not launched our program yet. But we everything that we're looking at, it's a wash or less, not with soft cost, like yep. you said, actually finishing your home, putting the studs in. Oh yeah, speed and efficiency, saving construction cost, um, saving vendor management. Yep. None of that. It's literally dollar for dollar comes in cheaper on a hard cost or the yep. same. So I have one question, just as a just as a guy that's super interested in this, what do you you what do you recommend for that outside membrane, right? So you have your, so how it works. Let's do the cross section, build that out. We'll start on the inside. That's the easiest. You have your two by six or two by eight uh, stud, correct? 16 inches on center, just like normal. Well, could be, could be 12 inch. It depends on, on some factors, backfill height more than anything. It's yeah. The, it's the structural. It's really yeah. just a structural wall, like any wall we would do in yeah. any house. Yeah. No, but it's two by six or two by eight, again, based on structural. It's nothing crazy. Yeah. And then it's a three quarter inch tree to ply. What do you use there? Uh, five eighths or three quarter. Once again, yeah, I've, seen five, on. I've seen five eighths a lot. I like five eighths. My biggest question is, what's the membrane you're using? You you, you do well, that, the, the, and it's a system, and it starts yeah. with with the footings. You're not you're, you're typically not pouring concrete footings. I think it's really important that first floor is also a system, right? So this isn't new. Like the first and second floor of your house is a system as well. Now we're just talking the below the grade. It's, it's an engineered system that's designed to support the axial loads from above, and support the soil loads. And That's the way it. that it works is the first floor and the basement floor acting in diaphragm resist those soil loads. And so that's a little different than a concrete basement, but it's an engineered system that has two by six, two by eight. Hell, we've done them with two by 10 and two by 12 studs. Uh, plywood on the outside that's caulked. Um, and then unless it's a very well-drained soil. Just caulk you, that joint is what you do. You caulk, all, all, all the joints are caulked. You caulk them, okay. And, and then there's a, there's a six mil visqueen you can use there's lots of different all that is is a watershed right right and, and almost to me it's almost yeah what's keeping that basement dry it's almost, it's almost cosmetic right understand water goes down it doesn't go sideways your, your footing is comprised of an aggregate pea stone or gravel or wants to go down it does not want to go halfway up so the water as long as gravity's working the water <laughs> is going to drain down 
drain and either be pumped or drained to daylight. So you don't have water building any hydrostatic pressure against that basement wall. It gives humidity problems in a masonry basement, and it usually finds its way into a basement through a crack or something like that. Right, which we don't have. We've solved all that. So the system works very, very well. It works well in poorly drained soils, well-drained soils, you know, walkouts, flat. I mean, it, it really works well. And it's a, it's a, it's a, there's probably a million of them in North America to date. Now that's a very small percentage of the overall homes. Why hasn't it taken over the marketplace? Um, you know, that's a great question. There are pocket areas. We have pocket areas in Michigan, parts of the Midwest, out in the West, in Canada, where it's very popular. Probably the biggest thing has been lack of advocates, whether it's teaching people how to do it, um, supplying the material, all, I mean, just nobody's really embraced what it takes to do it. Like for instance, you have to have the first floor and the basement floor on before you can backfill. Well, that's totally different than the the masonry basement. So somebody has to kind of plan for that. Um, You know, where we've seen strength that was typically um, where a lumber yard or a, or a, or a you know a, a ch- regional or national chain got really behind it and really pushed it back in the day, Wix was pretty darn good at it in a lot of markets. Now they're gone, obviously, um, and, and we've got some really strong areas. But you know where the, where they're used and popular, people love them. It just takes somebody that can pull all the parts and pieces together. Yeah. And um, for whatever reason, they've done it. It's kind of that world of internet things. You Google it. It's a bad rap on the internet. Yeah. Wood sounds scary in your basement. Yeah. Concrete sounds oh, yeah. better. It's kind of weird. If I had to build a boat, I'd build it out of wood before I built it out of concrete. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, you think about that it's one thing if you're building a fence or a deck, it's another if your basement. But, right. but the products, they will last longer than anybody that's building if you build them right. Yeah, correct. Absolutely. Um, which is crazy. It's kind of like the same thing with offsite though, right? Like it's kind yeah. of a new kid on the block or just a, a thing that's, you know, not as well. You want, you want to be the only one in Fond du Lac County with a wood foundation? Like, well, not me. It's somebody, that's kind of like NIMBY, right? Like not in my backyard, like not, do it in somebody else's house. So we have to, I think, bring it to the market, test pilot, have guys like Doug promote it. I'm actually thinking about changing the, the name, Doug. That's really the first person I've ever really told that. Uh, I'm thinking about going EFF, Earth Friendly Foundation. Let's even take the word wood out of it just to help the, yeah. the I'm a psychological salesman. Yeah. And, and then we can say EFF and we can just say F it, right? We just F it. <laughs> well, well I mean, friendly foundation. It's very friendly to the earth using wood. I mean, God made it. Let's reuse it. If you bring somebody into a wood foundation, especially if it has a wood floor, they will be amazed at the comfort level and no need for dehumidifiers and all that kind of We're stuff. We're a huge component of the wood floor as well. Walk me through the foundation. Uh, and walk me through the, for the floor. Okay. So that, that's yeah. where even even where me, super super comp- proponent of this, I get a little stuck. Like, Ooh. oh yeah, you 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 and lots and lots of other people. So you know, it's an aggregate footing. Um, P-stone is the easiest one. It's a right. it's a perfect footing, but it allows moist water to pass through yeah. it. Um, on, on top of that sits a footer plate, which is the first piece of, piece of wood. It's usually two by 10, two by 12, depending on whether there's brick and all those kinds of things. And then the stud wall, which will either be two by six or two by eight, usually 12 or 16 inch on center with, with you know, plywood run horizontally because um, it's stronger if you, if you cross right. near it to the studs. And uh, all, of, all the joints are caulked. There's a six mil visqueen that's draped over it. And you apply the first floor. You either pour a slab for the basement or you put a wood floor in. So um, it's in the wood floor, just like a, the first floor. It's just joist and 
It's basically the first the first one I ever built back in 1982 had a concrete floor. It was a great basement. I loved it. Every other one I've built has had a wood floor. And essentially, you're laying two by sleepers down on the stone, four, five, six foot on center. And then it's a two before, two before six floor joist system. This is all, all foundation grade treated. And then three quarter T and G, just like you're doing on the first floor. And so there's no different, other than it's treated, there's no difference between that and, and, and the floors above it. And it's the floor will cost you a little bit more money than pouring a slab. That, 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 that but it's if you want to go total system, total comfort, it's the way to go. And then you hang that with hangers, or do you like how? No, you... because it's buttoned up against the stud, so you got soil pressure on one side. It's sitting yeah. right on a sleeper that's sitting right on the, the aggregate footing. Uh, so, yeah. I wonder, and I, I'm guessing we could build those panels, floor deck panels, right in the shop and bring them down. Yeah, I guess I'd have to think about. It. I mean, there's lots of panelization of the walls, the floor. You're talking usually. You could pan, you could panelize it. Yeah. Um, you know. that, that may drive the cost down because we get that done real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah. You definitely on the walls, I think, could bring oh, yeah. efficiency. So, efficiency we see, most, the, we see most of the efficiencies in offsite on floors. Yeah. So I'd have to agree it's the same way. We throw the sleepers down. Yep. We panel now. I put them down at post the walls. You sleep, you would build that post on or before. You talk about interior walls or you put the wall the exterior walls are all up before you put right, the I mean, right. there's well, guys that have done the floor. First, and then I think, I think in our in our world with offsite, we would set those panels first, and then bring yep. them walls up to them. We'll go yeah. pretty, and that would go extremely quick, yeah. extremely quick. Um, we have the trainer guys how to get corners right, but yeah, it's it's that. it's it's all about training. You know, whether it's an architect uh, or whatever, it's it's yeah. it's 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 training well, the, you know, the contractors, the your, your lumberyard people. Well, since you sell it to us, would you be uh, on the panel to help us launch this? I would help you launch it. We we over the years, Joel, have looked for somebody to really jump on board with this because it's a great system it it, it it just has lacked evangelists to work it all the way through the system if you guys as drexel said we, we want to we want to have an impact in wisconsin we think this is a great system that we could we, we could use our resources and really bring it to market i'll help you with that all right you can be john the baptist our evangelist okay i don't know if you're a christian guy but you'll be our john the baptist okay any, i, I any, can be that any, i've been, I've been called baptist? worse Honey and locusts and camel hair, and you just go sell with foundation for us, okay? Go go tell the world. Yep. All right, so we're down to the we're, we're out of time. That went really quick, okay. as they always do. Uh, last question I always ask everybody: You have a huge, big, giant billboard dug somewhere anywhere in the country. Tons of exposure. It can have anything on it. What's on it, and why? What's on it? You know what mine would be? Pretty simple. Wood is good. Explain. You know, it's, it's, I mean, everybody loves wood. Uh, you know, we're seeing it come into now commercial with the CLT. Everybody loves wood. It, 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 it there's lots of different applications. Um, you know, we just, we embrace designing and building with wood. And we think there's, you know, there, there's a romantic value to it and aesthetics and just, we, we like wood, certainly over concrete and steel. And I'm not throwing stones at those, though those have their place, but, but we like wood. Uh, I think it's God's greatest natural resource. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's a it's a renewable and not not only natural resource, it's a renewable natural resource. Yep. It's a wonderful, wonderful product. And Where now with the CO2 sequestration, it's going to even be more, more in, you know, certainly in the spotlight. Well, Doug, why don't we bring you back on after we've done our first F-Ed house? How about that? Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate your time, buddy. What is good? Thanks for the 92. opportunity, Joel. Thanks, Doug. 92, we're out. Peace. Bye now.